This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, episode number 280. And welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. I am your host, Riley Bowman, and joined today, I am pleased to introduce and announce, I actually have two first timers on the Concealed Carry Podcast. Uh, we're very, very, very excited about uh, our guest today, Mr. Chris Serino. Hello, Chris. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> Many folks will be familiar with Chris uh, twice appearing on History Channel's Top Shot and twice finishing second place, which is pretty cool. I mean, first it would be cooler, right? But second still pretty no, cool. Actually, it worked out really well because... If I had won, then I would have been beholden to History Channel for X amount of time, and I would have had to do a bunch of ridiculous stuff and pay a bunch of taxes. And <laughs> and it actually worked out great because people would come up to me all the time and say, "Man, who won that?" You know, and because they remember me because I was on to the end twice. You know, and yep. everybody that even won was only on, you know, to the end that, once. That is a really great point. That is, that is true. So we won't even mention those other guys' names. You know, like, you know, that Ian fellow, you know. Yeah, he's, <laughs> he doesn't speak very good English. <laughs> Speaking of which, I've talked with him about getting him on the podcast, and, and he keeps blowing me off. So, you good know, luck. We, we, we won't luck. even talk about him. We'll just, we'll just talk about Mr. Serino here. He's very, very busy. Very, very busy. And our second uh, guest host here today, that we're even more excited about, first time on the show, <laughs> is our managing editor, ConcealedCarry.com, Joshua Gillum. What's up, dude? What's going on? <laughs> you know, it's, I've been twisting your arm for so long to get you on the show, and uh, finally you agreed to come on, so. Yeah, it's a little nerve-wracking for me being in front of people. You know, I have some stage fright, I guess, but here I am. He's a pretty <laughs> quiet guy overall. Yeah, yeah. I, I gather that sometimes. Uh, did he say? Did he even say two words in that whole course this last weekend with you? He would like to have not said anything, but I talked to him and made him talk, and then we yeah. started talking. <laughs> That's true. I was but... worried that he was going to eat me. <laughs> He's big and angry looking. Oh, come on. Awesome. I, am, I am. I am. I am big and angry looking, I guess. I, I get that. Well, what do you expect from a Marine? But, you know, once I once I opened up a little bit, you know, you probably couldn't get me out of your hair fast enough. I, I know I asked you several questions and, you know, you answered all of them. So that was good. <laughs> well, that's what I want. I want to engage with all my students because I want to know about them. I want to know what they're thinking. I want to know what they know. And I want to answer any questions because I know I say a lot of stuff that a lot of people really don't say in training you know i gotta hand it to you too man yeah. you helped drive several points home for me um like just explaining things in different ways you broke it down what we called in the ring court barney style and you broke it down for me barney style you know you think like big purple dinosaur you broke it down for me so i could understand it so i really appreciate that well, like I said, I'm not a natural. I'm a slow learner myself. It took me a lot of years to get as good as I am. And it takes me a lot of thought 
and time on task to stay as good as I am, which really isn't that good when you look at me compared to the, you know, the top 5%, it might as well be 100 miles between where I'm at and the next guy above me because it's just not something I'm ever going to achieve. So I want to I want to be as I guess as clear and I and I just I call throwing crap at the wall, you know, I want to see what sticks, I want to see what works for you and what works for the other guy and you know how they understand it. By the way, Josh, we're getting some really great comments uh, on Facebook. And uh, Tristram writes, Great Beardos Unite. Yeah, I shaved mine off. <laughs> uh, I heard, I heard about you. that. So, <laughs> yeah, man, like, what's the deal? Why, why, it's, it's cold season, cold weather, man. Yeah, I know, but deer, deer season's over. And since I'm going to Florida next week, I thought, you know what? I cannot have that scratchy crap on my face another day. <laughs> that makes so sense. It's gone. <laughs> that's that's fair that's fair enough all right well folks hey uh we've been having fun here but uh today's episode is brought to you by first of all honorary sponsor of today's episode would be sereno training group uh, sereno training group.com chris sereno is a well-respected uh instructor uh teaching courses all over the place uh but you're based primarily in ohio is that right chris Right, and I'm actually going to run some classes here. I, I built my new website yesterday. I put classes on. I'm up near uh, about 40, 35 miles south of Cleveland. I'm right next to Akron. Everybody knows Akron now because that's where LeBron James is from. <laughs> Everybody's like, oh, yeah, I know Akron. Yeah, so but, I'm actually like 15 minutes from Akron. I, he- I heard that LeBron name is kind of a dirty word up there, though, these days. If I if I gave uh, two turds about sports, <laughs> I guess it would bother me too. But I really uh. could care less. <laughs> Unfortunately, I, I, you know, if the Browns, you know, when the Indians made it to the Super Bowl or whatever that was called, they went to, I watched because they're my home team and I wanted to see how it worked out. But, you know, they didn't win. I think I don't think they won. No, they didn't. Did, did, did you just say when the Indians went to the Super Bowl? Yeah, whatever that thing is they do. The World Series. You, you know, know what? You're right. You don't care one lick at all about, about sports, do you? <laughs> no. No, i got a couple boys that are Eagle Scouts, and uh, we just always did family stuff, outdoor stuff. I, I'm, yep. I've got nothing. Yep. And one of your boys, uh, Colton, right? He's... Uh, pretty involved in uh shooting and training with the family as well i I love seeing it's a family affair man he was you know the last few years it's just been hard because he's in engineering in college and both my boys are you know four points and above and they really take it seriously they don't miss school to go shoot matches and but colton has worked you know at machine shops that make parts for guns he's worked uh, since he was 17 down in kentucky for a machine shop and now that he's going to be graduating in may he'll be working He's had a bunch of job offers, which is good because he still shoots, still shoots well, and he'll shoot a couple matches a year. But you know, school is number one, and getting on with life. Yeah, awesome man. Uh, glad to hear that because uh, school, school indeed is important. Uh, I'm glad I, yeah, I almost didn't make it to college, and uh, even though I'm not doing anything at all related to, well, that's not entirely true. I took some business courses and stuff, but yeah, I didn't study in college what what I'm doing now, right? And, uh, but I'm still glad I went. It did a lot of things for me in my life. 
So, um, also today's episode is brought to you by our 12 Days of Christmas giveaway. Uh, we call it our Merry Carrie Christmas. And you'll see I put it up, up on the screen here uh, for, for our Facebook viewers. Uh, but folks uh, that are listening only, just go on over to concealedcarry.com forward slash 12 days. You're going to want to check this out. We have our full calendar. We go live on December 9th for 12 days. So from the 9th up through the 20th of December... I know that doesn't add up to 12, but trust me, it's 12. <laughs> From the 9th of December to the 20th of December, we are giving away each day some really cool prizes and prize packages. Overall, we're giving thousands of dollars of prizes away. And uh, some of these are you're, you're really going to want. We're giving away a gun. We're giving away a massive safe. We're giving away training products and gear, uh, ammunition, all kinds of really, really good and exciting stuff. Part of the 12 Days a Merry Carry Christmas giveaway starting on the 9th. And here's the deal. You've probably heard it on the podcast. If you're if you're a loyal listener, we've talked about it a couple of times. But here's the thing. You see on the screen here if you're if you're viewing as well. But go to concealedcarry.com forward slash twelve days, and there's instructions there for downloading the Concealed Carry Gun Tools app, uh, which is our app, which is awesome. It has a ton of great training aids, tools, uh, l- legal information, reciprocity map. All, that, all a bunch of really great stuff. You're going to love the app. Uh, business directory, if you want to find a local gun shop, gun dealer, gun range, even gun-free zones. All that's in the app. So go to concealedcarry.com forward slash 12 days. Download the app. Uh, look into all that. And what's going to happen is you're going to get a notification on December 9th saying, here's the sign-up for today's giveaway. And for a 24-hour period from December 9th through... December 12th, I think around noon, I think is when we're doing it. So on, on basically about noon of December 12th, we'll announce December 9th's winner, all right, for, from all the signups. And every day that's going to happen, you're going to get a notification every day for 12 days. Here's the sign-up. You go fill out a form, sign up, and you have a great chance, a, a, a great probability of winning one of these great giveaway prizes. So that's the deal. It's awesome. I'm super excited about it. I wish I could qualify <laughs> to win any of these prizes, but uh, unfortunately, employees of concealedcarry.com or employees of these these companies that are involved with us, unfortunately, cannot win. But all the rest of you can win. <laughs> so it'll be a good time. Um, that's it. That's all I got to say about that. So without further ado, Chris, we need to get into it, buddy. Um, here's, here's the deal. This all came together really quickly because last weekend you were teaching a course. What was the name of that course? It was just Combat, combat Pistol which uh, used to be my combat marksmanship program. And, and when I was with the state, I think I called it semi-auto operator. I mean, it's just really about learning how to run the gun and making things happen. Yeah, awesome. So Combat Pistol um, and our managing editor, Josh Gillen, was there. He didn't go necessarily as editor of ConcealedCarry.com. Uh, he, he went because he wanted to get some training. Um, Josh, had you ever taken a class like that? Am I in mute here? No. Okay. So, <clears throat> I mean, I, I had some instruction in the Marine Corps. Obviously, they have a very different methodology of teaching. Um, <laughs> you know, and I had to qualify with a pistol uh, with an M9, um, which, you know, love it or hate it, it is what it is. You could use it as a hammer or you could throw it or you could shoot it, if you know. <laughs> you know, if it's not one of those... Uh, really loose ones, you know, that's been around since God knows when little rattle um, trap. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, uh, hand me downs from the army, you know, but, um, 
you know, I, I took some, obviously some, some rifle instruction. Right. Um, <clears throat> and when I was, uh, correct in the corrections officer training, we had to qualify with a 38 revolver and, you know, I basic CCW classes and stuff like that. So no, they, I guess the short answer would be no, I never took any classes like that before. Awesome. Awesome. We're going to come back to that, but that's kind of where this started. You went through that course last weekend. Uh, sounded like you had a great time and you had mm-hmm. a lot of great things to, to say about Mr. Serino. Um, but let's back Please up. call me Chris. <laughs> I, uh, I would appreciate it. Okay. Mr. Chris. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> so, uh, Chris, uh, let's back up a little bit and, and, you know, wherever you feel like starting, I'd like to just, for the listener's sake, hear a little bit about your background. How'd you get started in shooting and, uh, you know, how'd you get to where you are now? Well, you know, I really, I probably didn't even own a gun until maybe I was 19 or 20. I think my dad bought me a shotgun cause I was hanging out with a, a fella who was a, a police officer who, would, who liked to hunt crows and I would go hunting and. I didn't really have any desire to, to own any guns. I think I bought my first handgun after I got, well, when I got hired by the park service, 1992, I was a park ranger in Glacier National Park. See, I started my law enforcement career early. I was only 22 years old and that was my first gig. So I had to actually buy that gun for that. So that was probably the first handgun I ever owned. And I don't really know how I qualified. I don't know how I did anything. I probably just was less afraid of the gun than most people. So I, you know, I shot okay. Uh, in my career, I was really always kind of the best of the bad lot. I was a SWAT guy for a while. I got picked for SWAT because, again, I was the best of the bad lot. I got picked to be a firearms instructor for the agency because I was willing and I was the best of the bad lot. And through that, I just, you know, I kept shooting and and trying to always figure out how to do it and how to do it better and how to get somebody else to do it. And it wasn't really until I went to the air marshals when I went to the air marshals in Cleveland that I, that I got really good because, you know, I, I, number one, I had to perform not very good and I had to perform well. And I got detailed like out to Atlantic city. And when I was in Atlantic city working at the main Academy, I got to work with Mike Seeklander and JJ Ricasa And all these great people who were great shooters and they were like, Hey, you know, you're, you're like a robot. You, you, you're being slow to be smooth rather than just throwing down with the gun. And they taught me a lot of things that kind of brought me into the modern, the modern trainer and shooter that I am today. But aside from that, I was in charge of remediating shooters at their marshals. So I would have to take someone to the range for like five days and 5,000 rounds and figure out how to get them to not fail anymore. So I had to be pretty good in order to get them to do something. I had to be able to do it. And, and it just was, you know, it's been my, it's been my entire life, you know, and then I went from there to the, the Ohio Peace Officer Training Academy and I was the lead farms instructor for the Northern part of the state. And I'd just been a trainer all my life. It's yeah. weird because I, I didn't own an AR for, I didn't own an AR until I went to the state of Ohio and now I got like 30 and I love them. And it's like, they're the sickest things inside and out. <laughs> yeah, man. Uh, uh, I love a good AR as well. Um, so, so you obviously went, you went into law enforcement 
and uh, you had quite quite a career there. And, and what I like that you said is that you spent a lot of time doing remedial training. Uh, I've I've had to do a little of that myself with uh, uh, officers in the past, and w- what you learn very quickly as doing that kind of instruction is a lot of times you you unfortunately have to really you have to dumb things down quite a bit, don't you? Sometimes. Well, you got to figure out what makes you successful so that you can, like, I have to know, what do I see? What do I feel when I shoot around? When that perfect round goes downrange and 80% of mine are probably perfect, but I, I know what I see and I feel on the other 20%, but I have to know why I hit in order to, like I do a class called the diagnostic instructor. And it's, it's not just about what it takes to hit. It's about why we miss. Cause we got to be able to fix ourselves mm-hmm. to fix others. And so I always just thought of stuff. I'm like, well, try this. Well, this is what I feel. Try this. And then I started figuring out, well, how do I show somebody what I feel? So I started letting people take rides on my trigger finger. Sounds inappropriate, but it really works. You know, stuff. I just tried stuff. And I tell you what, I got great results. And I've had a great handful of people in shootings over the years. And they all call me and say, man. I relied on exactly what you trained me. I heard your voice in my head. The sights were big as cinder blocks. Uh, you know, just everything that we talk about in class. It's good stuff. That's it's awesome, hard. man. Um, so one thing, I, you know, I was watching a, recently a YouTube video of yours. And uh, in that video, I don't remember <laughs> the name of the guy you're working with, but uh, you were just talking about trigger manipulation. And Dick Jones. Yes, yes, that, that's right. And you know, there was something that you did in that video I, that I hadn't. I've trained a lot of different places, and I've trained a lot of different people, but you did something that I've never really seen before. Uh, and what it was is you had him turn the gun. You basically had him hold it against his gut, right? You put the the base of the grip of the gun kind of towards his gut. So he's looking down at the gun, looking at it sideways. And you had him just work through that trigger as you were, you know, trying to illustrate those concepts as far as hitting that, that pressure wall, right? Hitting the wall, yeah. you know, and how to, how to press that reset you know, during recoil, all that stuff and get back to that wall. And so I was wondering if you could actually just touch on that a little bit as far as maybe where you picked that up or if that's something you came up with uh, and, and wh- <clears throat> why you use that kind of example and, the purpose behind it. I think it's for me, I think I get it, but let's just talk about that. Cause I thought it was a really great way of showing a student kind of what to look for as, as they're doing it themselves. Well, a lot of people will change their focus, whether they see or just are watching something inside their head, they change their focus to the trigger. The instant they're going to fire, they're like, okay, it's perfect. Now trigger. Well, they've changed their focus. They can say they're, they're looking at the sights. See, they see the sights, but they're not looking at the sights. They're not focusing on the sights. They see them, but they're really focused on the trigger. So what I did was when I was with the Air Marshals, we had the SIG 226. It was a, a difficult gun to manage. And uh, most everything I, I have, like 80% of what I have, I came up with myself. And this is definitely one of them because I got Jude for doing it. We would sit there with the air marshals and just turn that sideways gun and work through that double action and watch the hammer stroke, watch the trigger move, watch the the movement of the trigger after a quick reset, how much slack was in front of that pressure wall. And we would fire round after round of, you know, spear gold dot into the dirt. One time the sack came up and she said, what, what are you doing? (laughs) 
what are you doing? I said, I'm trying to teach people how to become intimate with the trigger because after all, I mean, it's all about the trigger. I mean, yes, a good, strong grip does a lot to compensate for a piss poor trigger press, but you've got to be intimate with that trigger. You've got to understand what it looks like, what it feels like. So then as you're working it, your trigger finger has already learned that it knows what it needs to feel and you're okay with it. Like you give, when I see sites, my trigger finger has permission to work. The rest of it is problem solving. What's beyond the sights? Does the man still have the knife? Is he still a threat to me? Has the background changed? My finger's on autopilot. I don't focus on trigger finger. Right. It just does. You know, we talked about it in the class. It's kind of like your foot on the gas. I don't just press down on the gas and go. Based on what I see ahead of me in traffic is what I, how I run my trigger, how I run my gas pedal based on what I see on the road in front of me whether it's a target or another car mm. it's i know it's weird stuff man but it's what i do it's what i'm good at and it's what i've been doing for a lot a lot of years yeah well you you had us do that <clears throat> that drill in class and i thought it was very valuable um because i was actually able to see my finger coming up on the pressure wall um and then when i closed my eyes and did it it was i, I had to work basically off of feel alone and every so often i was getting double taps <laughs> because too tight a support for, hand grip yeah for yeah exactly so or not too tight a shooting hand grip i should say can't isolate the trigger finger yeah so it, it was it was very valuable for sure um and i wrote down one of your little serenoisms i guess is, is what you call it um is, huh is the pc uh, <laughs> yes, it's a PC one. So it basically, your finger reacts to what your eye sees. Um, and I thought that that was very good. And um, when I was in the Marines, you know, we were taught, you know, you only put your finger on the trigger when you're ready to fire. And um, yeah, I mean, you, you, you kind of, that was, that was a workaround for me, I think, because I asked you when you got on the trigger and you were like, <laughs> I mean, you can explain it better than I can. <laughs> well, you know, if all we ever do is touch a trigger when we're shooting a gun, you should probably never, ever shoot, touch a trigger unless you're shooting a gun. And the problem is people touch the trigger and they think the gun has to go off. Well, a lot can change. The threat can change. The backdrop can change. Your mindset can change. What I'm seeing can change. Oh, shoot. He picked a uh, bad time to combat draw a wallet, you know, and I come out and I'm and I'm thinking, oh, here it comes. Well, my eyes pick up on what they see. The trigger finger goes, whoa, we don't need to be doing this. I, I don't, I mean, I don't know. It's, it's no different than driving. But what we've done is we've seen, and I talked about this in the class. People say safety first. Well, it's not safety first. Because if it was safety first, we wouldn't drive. Because it sure as hell is one of the most unsafe things we do when there's cars whizzing past us at equal and greater speeds you know, with no median, no nothing in between us, you know, safety first, if safety was first, we'd never climb a ladder because it's pretty dangerous. You could fall off a ladder, you know, safety is, should be inherent in what we do. And what we've done is we've, we've made the gun so taboo. And we do that with young officers, you know, you better not touch that trigger unless you're shooting a gun and you better not take that gun out of your holster unless you're defending your life. Mm. Well, I don't know when I'm going to have to defend my life. I get a feeling first, the gun comes out and then I may not have to defend my life. 
or I may have to, but I sure as hell better not be waiting to make that decision with the gun in the holster. And if it's really tense, I probably should be inside the trigger guard, if not through the slack and at the pressure wall already making that decision. But we don't let people touch the gun. We don't let people make mistakes. When Joe had that at that unintentional discharge in the range when we were handling guns, it was absolutely safe. It was downrange. He was absolutely sure of his target is backstop and beyond. He just got aggressive with the pressure wall. And I will bet you $100 that he learned a lot from that. And that's where you learn, in the range. Not standing in your bedroom, not in the bathroom, not screwing around when, when there's nobody watching you. Because if you need an instructor over you to tell you what to do when you're handling your gun, then you probably shouldn't handle a gun. Fact. Hmm. Yeah. Those are good thoughts. Uh, I, I echo a lot of that. In fact, I, did we talk on the podcast recently? I can't remember. It's, I feel like I did, but I talk so many different places. I don't remember sometimes where I say things. But uh, I feel like recently on a podcast, I mentioned uh, one of the great examples of this concept, I feel, Chris, is uh, everyone's familiar with uh, Mike Rowe, right, of uh, Dirty Jobs. And sure. he, he has this concept, and he even wrote an article once titled Safety Third. And it was kind of a little thing that he would even do in the Dirty Jobs show. Uh, sometimes behind the scenes is he would point out that safety is not and cannot be first. Like, and, and sometimes by pretending like it is, we set ourselves up for failure. So I'm curious if you'd, you know, could elaborate on that some more. Yeah, 100%. I actually heard uh, with Dick Jones this weekend. He said safety fourth. And I wish I could tell you what it was, you know, and it was like something like be happy, treat, treat your family well, make money so you can be happy and treat your family well and do all of it safely. So it's like the fourth thing. It was it's like you if you were going to be safe, you can't do anything. I, I like to think that safety is inherent in what we do. Now, I would ask Josh, uh, and, and he could be completely honest, but Josh, did, at any point, did you feel unsafe on the range that we ran? Uh, only when what's-his-name turned around with his gun. Yes. Th and, that that we can, and that we can't control, right? Yeah. But Other than that, that, yeah, no. What do people do? And that was... A, that was he, certain people just shouldn't be in training, but... How do you how do you get there? You know, when people grab a gun, they pick it up, their finger migrates to the trigger. It's like sitting in a car, your foot goes to the gas pedal. It's like that's where you rest your foot. Yeah. You know, people don't understand. It's like, well, you know, these fingers go here. Well, this finger goes there. See, for me, when I grab a gun, I pick it up. My fingers straighten alongside the frame. It's it's something that's in, inherent. It's worked into me. But these people haven't had training enough they haven't handled guns enough and when they do they're either alone or they're under the the eye of an extremely oppressive instructor so it makes them feel nervous they don't know how to do they don't know how to behave and they they think that they they just they get flustered like i have i allow people to pick up stuff off the range floor if it's not out in front of the line in an unsafe location what is wrong with you bending over with your head up scanning, looking left and right to make sure that there's no guns pointed at you or that you have eye control over the gun that is out because it sure, sure as hell shouldn't be pointed at you on the range if people are doing what they're supposed to do. So we create an air, uh, an air of responsibility. 
I'm responsible for my muzzle. I'm also responsible for myself not getting in front of your muzzle. So, you know, we train with these big boy rules and we allow things to happen. And I try to be very watchful, but I'm always, I'm always amazed at how well it works out. It always, it always works out because safety is inherent in what we do. If it's not safe enough to do on the range, it's not safe enough for real life. Mm. Good thoughts. Good thoughts. Um, in fact, Josh, you mentioned something something to me uh, earlier uh, talking about this training course that you just went through with uh, Chris. And uh, you said something along the lines, I think it was finger, the finger reacts to what the eyes see. And, and yep. maybe, Chris, you know what I'm referring to there. And so um, if you sure. do, I'd, I'd like to hear your thoughts on that. Well, Josh, you know, what do you think it means? I mean, I, I don't touch a trigger unless I'm on sights and on target. Or else I made a conscious decision to dry fire a gun right here sitting in my, my man cave. You know, I, you just don't. The trigger finger has its place. And then it's only on the trigger when I've made a conscious decision to shoot. And that's based on what I see in front of me. What do you think, Josh? Yeah, uh, I also wrote down on sites on trigger uh, as another thing you said. Another, I don't know if it's a Serenoism, but... Um, so when you're on sites, when, when you present onto your target, your finger goes on the trigger, but it doesn't pull the trigger, right? right. It goes to the pressure wall. And if that, proper, maybe proper it doesn't even do that sometimes. What's that? Maybe it doesn't even do that sometimes. Maybe it just comes in and meets the trigger. Then maybe sometimes it comes to the pressure wall. Who knows where it goes? Yeah. But it's based on what I'm seeing and what I'm thinking the – the need to, to shoot how fast I need to shoot size of the yeah. target distance to the target. Right. Yeah. I mean, especially in a civilian context, I, if you have a reason to draw the gun, it's for, a, it needs to be for a very legitimate reason. Right. Right. Uh, in a cop, you know, in a, in a police uh, officer or, or law enforcement role, it, it may be a little different. There may be a few contexts where an officer may draw their gun. That's not, necessarily appropriate for a civilian to be drawn again as far as far as you know they may be doing a high-risk uh, vehicle stop you know where they're coming out and because of various reasons you know reasonable reasons they're, they're coming out with guns drawn um but the civilian's not making high-risk vehicle stops <laughs> right no. so so my point is is uh I, I i teach a similar thing as far as if you have reason to draw your gun it's because you have a legitimate reason to draw that gun you have a deadly threat uh, so I, I practice train a lot of the same thing as that gun's coming out, as I'm extending the target, that finger is going on and touching that trigger, taking up the slack. I'm ready to take that shot because I've already made the decision that I may need to shoot. But as you touched on, I like it too, that, that as you're doing this, as you are finishing your presentation, whatever it is, you may see suddenly the situation changes, you know, backdrop changes, the, the guy changes. Sees you got a gun. Yep. He gives up, drops his knife. He quits doing what he's doing because he's been met with superior force or he realizes that you do have superior force or he, he just says, holy crap, I didn't expect this guy to have a gun, yep. you know, and you caught him off guard and things change. I mean, uh, pulling a gun is a show of force. Pulling a gun doesn't mean you shoot a gun. That's based on conscious decisions. Deadly force is a conscious, conscious decision. Yep. Yeah. Good stuff, gentlemen. Not a reaction. Now, 
Josh, you also mentioned something to me about uh, the cone of knowledge. <laughs> What's the cone of knowledge? That, that sounds like a very intriguing concept. Mm. I like cones, by the way. Full of ice cream. Yes. <laughs> the cone, uh, I thought you, Josh, was going to explain it for a second. The cone no, of knowledge no, absolutely is not. Part, of, it's part of my logo. You know, um, the cone at the bottom where it's most narrow yep. is principal ideas. And if you look at my new website, you know, I, you know, I, I, I just put on there principle based training. Cause I'm always trying to think of what, you know, <laughs> there is no tough guy stuff. Josh, did I ever act like a tough guy? I mean, I don't, I don't do tough guy stuff. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I yell because I care, but no like macho tough guy stuff. And, and nah. pr- that's a part of the problem with my training, but I will make you lay in the mud. If it is raining and you are supposed to lay in the mud, we will lay in the mud together. But uh, otherwise, you know, it's principle-based training. And at the base of the cone of knowledge is the, the tip where it's most narrow. Principles are, are basic truths that never change. At least that's what Webster's defines it as. So I try to stay as close to the principle idea as possible because as the cone widens, we come up to <clears> tactics. <throat> I will give you tactics that are as close to the principle, accomplishing the principle as possible. Now, a simple tactic is pressing the magazine release to drop the magazine. But then there's techniques, and I have a technique that I add to it. Now, techniques are the buttholes of the cone of knowledge. Everybody has one, and nobody thinks there stinks. So now we're as far away from the principle as possible. You know, I try to even keep my techniques very close to the tactic and the principle. But the principle idea for, you know, is uh, to drop the magazine, get the mag out. The tactic is to push the button. My technique. I pull the gun into my thumb. I don't reach for the button and push it. I don't turn the gun and kip it in my hand, which are all valid techniques. But I pull the gun into my thumb, and then I sweep for my next magazine. So, you know, principles, tactics, and techniques, it's part of my logo. It's something that I, I learned about a long time ago in the Air Marshals, and I was really fond of it because the more I think about it, the, the more I think it's valid because techniques truly are buttholes. When you think about it, I mean, everybody's got this, you know, remember the mag pull flip, whap, you know, and your magazine gets shot across the range because, you know, inertia, (laughs) you know, if I push the button, right, the magazine drops straight out at my feet and I have an opportunity to pick it up if I want to. But, uh, you know, yeah, when I'm aggressive, sometimes the button, the magazine goes whipping, but it's not something I train. It's not a technique I train. So, you know, unfortunately, a lot of what I do is not flavor of the day. It's not fancy, but it will definitely win gunfights. It's been proven, and it definitely puts hits on target. Yeah. Yeah, and I, and I appreciate that approach. Uh, that definitely aligns with, you know, we, we launched a new curriculum within, within concealedcarry.com, within our instructor network. We're, we're rolling it out little by little, certifying some instructors to teach it, and that's kind of a core concept of, of it as well, as far as let's not get all tied up on some dogma, you know, of the way of doing a certain thing, as long as we're accomplishing the job at the end of the day, that's important to accomplish. Right. Right. If you can do, if you can do it and if you're as good as me or better, well then you really have no reason to change no matter how messed up looking what you're doing <laughs> looks, yep. you know, if it works, but maybe it's actually a valid thing and, and we all need to look at it. Yep. Yep. Good stuff, man. Chris, tell us, uh, what, what are, I mean, we, I think we're kind of touching on some of that, uh, but what are some of your other 
let's say philosophies of instruction, philosophies of training, like maybe like if you were trying to impart wisdom on on a newer shooter, someone that's you know just kind of getting started, you know they're not a terrible shooter. They they've got maybe they've been through a class or two, but they're still learning. They still have a lot of development to go through. Uh, and frankly, I feel like that's probably where a lot of us are. What what are some of the things? that you would try to impart on, on an individual? If you were just sitting down over lunch and, and talking about these things in great detail. Well, one of the good things and, and one of the bad things is that most of the people that I train through our uh, armed teacher program really only have their concealed carry permit. So basically a concealed carry permit in most states or any of the training involved is discharging a firearm in a safe direction. Yep. Most of the people that go to the shooting range and, you know, they say, oh, I got this friend named Josh. He's a shooter. He told me I should get this sweet Glock 40, <laughs> you know, because he's a shooter. That's what he likes. There may be shooters, but in reality, the, the definition is probably best that they discharge firearms in a safe direction. You're not a shooter, certainly not a gunslinger, most of them. So <clears throat> the, number one, I try to be a mentor. I'm not an instructor. I'm a mentor. I started the mentor terming terminology a long time ago when I started writing for ILFE and things like that. I wrote some articles about, you know, being a mentor because, you know, people have always said, you know, those who can do those who can't do teach. Yeah. Well, that's not true. It, or it, it kind of sometimes is kind of like being screw up, move up. You know, you get promoted when you're a screw up. Um, instructors, really should be pretty good at what they do they you know those who know those who can are fine but those who understand should be the ones teaching you have to understand you have to understand why you're good i mean i shoot with a lot of great shooters a lot of good people and it doesn't mean that they can say well you know this is how i break down what i'm doing this is how i can impart it to you and make you successful see because i'm pretty good but I can make people better than me because I don't have great skill. I'm not an athlete. I don't have great skill. I'm not a smart man. I mean, I'm smart in ways, but so as a mentor, I try to show people what to do. So I've got that going for me. I've got, you know, I get people that are new that have only discharged farms in a safe direction. I mentor for them what I want them to do. I show them good, solid things. It's not flavor of the day. I don't say, you know, to a student, I don't say, hey, well, I just learned this last week in a class. So I'm going to show it to you. Well, if you learned it and you can apply it and it works really well, yeah, that's one thing. But most people, they learn something and they think it's something that they're supposed to pass on. They haven't even mastered it yet or validated it. So, you know, there's so much to being an instructor, a mentor that, you know, you don't have to be the best shot in the world, but you better be pretty good. Because if you expect to inspire confidence in front of your students, you better be able to walk the walk. That's and that's one of the things I liked about your your class is you showed us everything yourself. <laughs> you and know, I was probably I was probably eighty percent on, and maybe even more. But boy, those little percentages stick out <laughs> when I screw stuff up. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, Josh, what was your favorite? What was your favorite thing of the class you went through this last weekend? Hmm. <clears throat> I mean, the whole thing was really good. Um, you know, I'm not going to lie. Uh, I, I really liked how he showed us how to do everything himself, prove that it not only can be done, 
but it inspired confidence in his ability as an instructor mentor, sorry. Um, you know, and, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, it was, it was really good. I also liked how he, he reworked, reworded things for me multiple different ways till I actually got what he was trying to say. Um, you know, like for, for example, um, front sight, right. Focusing in on the front sight for, you know, when you're, you're trying to actually be, you know, trying to shoot, hit, hit what you're shooting at. Um, it didn't click until he told me that you should see the muzzle blast. <laughs> for some reason, that's what it took for me to actually start seeing my, my front sight post. I, I, I don't know why it took that, but that's what it took. No, well, probably because you know? you're it, now correct me if I'm wrong, Chris, but probably because you're not focused at that point on the result, which is something you can't change. It, you're, you're more <clears> focused on, the front of my gun, the front of my front sight, and I'm looking for that muzzle blast now, as opposed to where my bullet go. Well, anytime you can, anytime you can keep yourself from worrying about how you're doing, and worry about what you're doing is always good. Um, I, you know, I I did say that about the muzzle blast, and I don't know where that came out of. I just pulled it on my rear end, but I have <laughs> like I have a great picture of my wife shooting when we were at Six Hour Academy a couple uh, falls ago, and sh- the gun is going off. It's already moving into recoil. And the muzzle blast is just gigantic fireball. And her eyes are steadfast, not blinking. The gun is directly in line with the target. And it's like, damn, that's, that's follow through. I mean, that's seeing, that's seeing what you need to see when the gun goes soft. And <clears throat> I do see muzzle blasts from time to time. And I get shooters that'll say, man, I saw the muzzle blast. It was a great shot. And I'll say, yeah, because you had your eyes open this time. You weren't changing your focus because people will swear they look at their sights, but they're not seeing the sights, any any semblance of the sights. They're internally focused on pressing that trigger and how it went. They're more worried about shifting their eyes to that target. And, and it takes time for mental process. I mean, okay, there it is to, to look down range. By the time the neurons fire from there it is to the end of my finger and that mechanical device goes off, that's mm-hmm. plenty of time to pull a shot off target. Yeah. Yeah. True, true. Now, tell me, uh, Chris, uh, as an instructor, this is me as an instructor, you know, asking the question uh, because it's something we run into all the time. You're teaching a class and you show up and, you know, there's certain prerequisites for the course perhaps, right? You know, you, you need to be familiar with this or that or whatever, depending on the course. But you show up. And you realize in every class, uh, I start with some basic skill, you know, kind of testing and it's evaluation as far as I want to, I want to be able to, I'm working with people I've never met before, never seen before. I want to get a sense of where they're at. And within the first few shots, you go, okay, I know where that guy's at and I know where that guy's at and I know who I need to keep an eye on a little bit. Um, how do you balance teaching a course where you've got, you know, a big difference in skill. Well, Josh just saw it. So <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I try to engage everybody equally. And there are some people that I have to like, uh, the older fellow, you remember, I had yeah, to sooner or later, I got to quit. See, some people need to sink and take on a little water before they pop back to the surface. And he actually did okay. I just left him alone and, and he, he did as, as good as he's going to do as long as he's safe. I'm done. 
But I try to engage everybody, and that's why I started talking to Josh, even though he looked angry and hungry. I, uh, He's just a, pissed, I started just a pissed off Marine. Because he was struggling with certain things. And I don't want him just to be angry, whether it's with me or himself. I want to know what he's thinking. I want to know what he's feeling. And I, and I, I engage everybody. I stop the line. I make, I make examples out of people, you know, and not for in a bad way. And Josh, you saw it. I mean, I'd say, Hey, listen, this is what I'm seeing over here. Watch this. Like, how about when we presented the gun and I, I got somebody up there. So just to present the gun and I press the trigger when it reached full arm extension, you know, I do, I do different things like that to, to demonstrate to others you know, this, you know, you learn as much from seeing somebody do something wrong as you learn from seeing somebody do something right. I could sit up there and shoot all day. Perfect. And, and most people look at it and say, God, I don't know how he does it. And then somebody will say, totally saw that. I totally saw what he just did. That's what I'm missing. You know, <clears throat> and then other times I use other people to do that. Not just me. I could bring them up. I, I stop the line. I talk about something. But it is, it's a hard balance because Josh, you know, there's a lot of downtime when you got poor performers. We had one SIG gun in the class and he was a, a relatively novice shooter, but he actually did really good and he learned a lot. And I have no doubt in my mind that when he gets a, a better gun to shoot or an easier gun to shoot, he's going to be a great shooter and he can go back to shooting a SIG one day. But right now he just needs to learn how to shoot. Was this, a, DA was this a DASA gun? Yeah, yeah, 226. Yeah, Trigger was beating him up. It was slowing him down, but, I mean, he kept with it, and he caught me out in the parking lot, man, and he bent my ear. He was like, man, I had no idea, and, boy, that was great, and I've got a plan. Now he's got a plan for what he's going to do next. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, you know, i got to say, too, um, one thing that, that stood me or stood out to me is you know, I'm, I'm a very hands-off kind of person. I don't like to be touched a whole lot. Um, but Chris, you, <laughs> That's you were true. really all, you were really all up in there, man. And, uh, <laughs> hold, holding my hands at different times and, uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> I'm a toucher, but I, I gotta say though, I, I also realized that I'm not gripping my gun strong enough when you, when I had my strong hand on my, on my FNS and you were like, here, this is how strong my support hand grips. And I was like, holy crap, I need to but work I, on that. <laughs> but I wasn't squeezing the hell out of it. Really, was I? I was just locked in tight. Yeah. See, a lot of people use their support hand as a rest. They put the gun up here and they rested in that hand. Yeah. Well, this gun, this hand, this support hand is doing a, a lot of work to keep this hand on yes. the gun so that it can free up that trigger finger. Yes. And they're, they're squeezing with this. And that's why they can't manage the trigger and let that trigger finger just do its job. Yeah. It's convulsive. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. If that support hand's not getting tired, you know, throughout shooting a string of fire, then you're probably not, it's not doing enough work. Yeah. Um, yeah, um Josh got it right. <laughs> yeah. That's great. Yeah. I see a lot of value in that where an instructor can step in and, and yes, sometimes, and, and I, as an instructor, I try to kind of like ask, Hey, you know, Josh, is it okay if I do this? <laughs> because I run in that situation where someone's like, what the heck are you doing? Why are you touching me? Um, but, uh, I just, you know, or you set those expectations early on in the class, like, look throughout the course, we're going to be doing this or I'll be doing that. And, uh, so that, that, that's helpful. Sometimes we have some questions coming in, uh, via Facebook, uh, comments, Chris, um, <clears throat> 
One of them here okay. is from Matthew. He's he's up in that you know kind of neck of the woods. He's in Columbus actually, and he nice. asks. Uh, he's also he's actually one of our co-hosts of the podcast, so <laughs> he's just viewing it at home right now. Uh, he asks if you think you will have a combat pistol class in Ohio before your July class. Uh, we have this lovely Ohio weather to train in. Well, uh, the ones that are on the schedule are really all the time I have to make public classes. Now, things may change, and I may do some stuff during the weekdays, but those are primarily law enforcement classes because those guys only shoot during the week. Yep. And, uh, I mean, he could, he's more than welcome to come to something like that if I do put it on. Um, honestly, this until, until after September, things are Things are pretty solid. <laughs> <laughs> I believe it too. Yeah, yeah. it's because I do so many different things. You know, if all I did was training, I'd have fifty-two weeks of training. But there's only two fifty-two weeks in a year, and it's hard. Yeah, I apologize, Matt. Are you still shooting a lot of uh, competition, a lot of three gun and whatnot? I think I shot six or eight major matches last year, and uh, that was a good amount for me last year and i i intend to do that because that's how i vet my skill i mean i go out there and mm-hmm. um i mean i got to be able to shoot i got to be able to perform otherwise what do i do i'm just uh, what am i a nra certified instructor sitting at home thinking about shooting <laughs> here's a question from uh, high caliber concealed carry training llc <laughs> with new shooters taking a class do you find that they are intimidated by the instructor shooting well and that they think they can't get that good or that the opposite may be true well you're a little bit broke up on that but i got it and i and uh honestly i think my shooting inspires them and i use their guns to do it and then i get them to do it even if i have to pull their trigger for them because all of it's inspiring because they say man you know if it really all it comes down to is me pressing this trigger, that's all I've got to work on. I know my gun is good. I know I'm capable of it. My eyes are good. All those variables you take out of it. Yeah, I think it's inspiring. I, I don't think I, I've been doing it forever because I said I'm a mentor. I've written articles about it. And as a mentor, I mean, why do kids want to play basketball? They watch LeBron James. Why do kids want to do baseball? They watch their heroes. You know, why do these... Why do these people want to do it? It's not because they're sitting on the sidelines yelling about it. It's because they're out there doing it, and they're like, man, I want to be like that. Yeah. Do you, do you think there's anything to it as far as like, you know, as an instructor, uh, and I've seen instructors that are like this, where they'll, they'll say, okay, here's students, here's what you're going to do. You're going to do this, this, this you're going to do X, Y, Z drill, right? And I've seen participants in classes. I've seen students that are like, can that even be done? You know, do, do you feel like that that's helpful for an instructor to show that, yeah, this can be done. Let me show you how this is done. Well, I've, yeah, I've, I've done that stuff. And I, of course, I always demonstrate it, you know, and I, and I always, when I demo stuff, I demonstrate it from further distances, you know, slower times or whatever, or, or in the time I want them to shoot it. Cause I show them how, easy it can be i don't just if i say i'm going to shoot one round in three seconds you know from the holster on x target i take the full three seconds i take the time to aim and i show them i'm going to do it it's and it's bang and they look at it and they go wow that is like forever in a day Mm -hmm. well if they can't do it it's not because they can't shoot right 
It's now because we now need to work on their motions, their economy of motion, the way they get to the gun, get to the target, get to the trigger, all that stuff. And then they start thinking, wow, yeah, there's a lot going on at once. I understand what you're saying more. It's mm. not just about shooting. Yeah. <clears throat> Good stuff. What What is your, this is a question from uh, Tristram. Uh, what is your maximum class size that you are comfortable with? And I assume like, that's if you're teaching it kind of yourself. Um, and well, maybe, maybe you might give us a little info too, if you got uh, an assistant instructor as well. Yeah. Like even with that class this week, we only had, uh, we had 11, we had two relays, five and six. Um, I like to have two instructors. My maximum is 20. I do two relays of 10. I will do no more than two relays of 10. There are times if I have extra instructors that I'll go, I'll do 24 and I'll do 12. Yeah. The problem is the people on the end of the line, the lines get so long that they can't hear, they can't enjoy. And usually the least, the lowest performers always suck themselves out to the end of the lines because they want to hide. Mm-hmm. And, and so I end up having to move things around and, and change people up. But if, you know, with two instructors, with me and my wife, you know, with me, my wife and my friend, I'm okay. But if it's like my teacher training, I have, I have three main instructors there, me, my wife, and my friend, Andrew. And then I have about five other sets of eyes that are just helping me. And, and they, they've been working with me for a lot of years. So they say a lot of the same things I do. And when they don't, we have a powwow. And I say, listen, don't ever say that again. Don't mm-hmm. focus on this. Watch what you're working with on this person, because what their feet has to do what their feet are doing has nothing to do with them jerking the trigger. So yeah. it really depends, but it's 20, yeah. 20 is my max. Okay, cool. Um, and by the way, folks, and that's, we're kind of getting down to where we got to, we got to wrap it up here, but, uh, uh, Chris is going to come on our guardian nation live broadcast this month. Uh, and, uh, it's looking like that's going to be on the 20th of December at 7 PM mountain, 9 PM Eastern. So we're really excited about that, Chris, to have you back. And that's of course a perfect opportunity for guardian nation members, uh, which of course, if you're not viewers and listeners, uh, go to guardian, guardian and check it out, uh, get in on that. So you can be there and for basically 90 minutes, interact directly with Chris, ask questions, hear his, hear his answers. Uh, but, uh, <clears throat> well, a couple other things, Chris, and you just mentioned, when you've got an assistant instructor or a help or whatever, and you know, and, and maybe they say something that you know is not, it doesn't jive with with what you would say or with what you teach. What what would some of those things be that maybe sometimes you know, like what maybe are some phrases or some sayings that uh, you go, mm, we don't say that in this class. Yeah, number one, never. I never say pin the trigger. Mm. I don't. I don't talk about. I try not to talk about reset. Because I don't ever want to think about it or feel it. Um, I get people that'll help out there. Want to worry about reset. Um, one of the other thing I I don't talk about is front sight. Focus on the front sight because that's crap. I don't focus on anything anymore. I can't see that good. And if you're not looking at the front sight through the window or the rear sight, you might as well be peeing up a rope because the front sight has to be in relationship to the rear sight. So anybody that's saying front sight, you know, hard focus on the front sight, you know, there's a time and a place for that, but without relationship to the rear. So I say totality of the sights or shoot the picture because it's sight picture without sight, sight alignment and sight picture go together without the two of them. You're also peeing in the fan. That's Um, a great point too, Chris, because you, you, you sell actually these kind of sight picture tools, especially for instructors, right? Yeah, there's, there's something I've used for a long time. 
and they're handy as hell. Yep. Uh, the other thing I, 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 I never focus on is stance. Uh, anybody that uses the word shooting stance is, uh, probably passe. Uh, it's platform. It has absolutely nothing to do with your feet. Shooting happens from the waist up and most of it ends at the shoulders. And it happens actually from the, the grip back to the shoulders. You'll be lucky if it makes it to your waist. Um, when people start moving people's feet around and changing or, or doing something like that, uh, that wears me out to no end because it has absolutely nothing to do with it. So those, you know, those things are important to me. Mm-hmm. I can't think of anything else. A lot of times he, he had his shooting with our feet touching a lot of the time, just, just to get the whole stance thing out of our head. Because after that, everybody did what they wanted to do. But they had already focused on the important stuff, right, Josh? Mm. We already worked on the shooting. Who cares what your feet are doing? But yeah. for God's sakes, don't feel the need to put your feet in a certain position before you can press the trigger. Yep. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the reality is in a fight, uh, your feet are not going to be in some <clears throat> ideal position. And you're probably moving as well. Or at least I, I would right. say I hope you're moving because moving targets a lot harder to hit, right? <laughs> Well, you know, one thing I do know is that I shoot, I shoot a lot better and I get a very much higher hit rate when I'm standing still. Yeah. But there's a time and a place for everything. Yep. And that's why I practice shooting on the move to some degree, because to shoot on the move accurately, I have to move pretty steadily. Yep. So basically you either need to unask the area or shut up and stand still and shoot. Yeah. You know, usually one or the other. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. If anybody ever says always or never, uh, you should always do this or never do that. That's another no-no. Yeah. That's a big no-no. Yeah. Excellent thoughts, man. There's so many other things we could go deep in. And, you know, a couple of things I wanted to touch on. Uh, Maybe I'll preview this for... for the Guardian Nation live event, uh, but uh, I'd love to get some more, some more thoughts on, from you about uh, your experience on Top Shot, for instance. Just you know, not only we have to go and make that make a huge deal of it, but uh, uh, it's sometimes fun to talk about that. I've I've had some of the other uh, fellow competitors on the show and gotten their insight. Um, also, you do some work with uh, Gun Talk Gun, to- Gun Talk TV and uh, First uh, Person Defender series, which I think I've, I've watched a couple of those, and I think those are some really enlightening uh, uh, episodes. Yeah, I have a lot to say about force-on-force training and video trainers. Yeah. <laughs> so we, we can, we can go... Some of like to hear. Yeah. So we can, we can go down that rabbit hole, uh, you know, uh, in, in the Guardian Nation live broadcast, if that's all right. Very cool. Cool. Good stuff. Josh, anything you want to throw out there kind of as we wrap up? No, I just want to say, Chris, keep teaching people, man. That was that was cool. Appreciate it. Yeah, well, you're very welcome, and I'm glad to see you again. You look great. Uh, you don't look as unhappy as you were at class, but it's because you're at I, home and relaxing. Yeah, I was, I was nervous. You asked me the first, you know, after the first target, you were like, I thought that was going to look better than that. What happened? I was like, I'm nervous. You know, like, because I mean, for real, I mean, seeing you on TV twice, you know, and um, being that I work for concealedcarry.com, you know, uh, I was nervous, you know, I'm trying, trying to live up to standards and stuff. And I just, I thought you finished strong, man. And I really enjoyed it. And I'm glad to see that. you. And I look forward to seeing you again. You too, Riley. Yeah, hey, I'd love to make it to one of your courses. I, I'm all about getting out and, 
and seeing seeing different things, new things. Uh, so it'll be it'll be cool if we can connect sometime for sure. So uh, with that, uh, once again, uh, highlighting the fact that uh, as of right now, we, we, I think we've got it on the calendar. I got to confirm uh, one other thing with Jacob, but it's looking like December twentieth, seven p.m. Nine, uh, Mountain, nine p.m. Eastern. We'll see Chris back for the Guardian Nation live Q and A broadcast. That'll be a good time. And uh, and and then once again, go check out concealedcarry.com forward slash twelve days and, and jump in and be a part of our twelve days of giveaway. Uh, that's just. You know, we're always trying to do something to give back to our community, to our people, and, and have fun with it. And that, that'll be a really, really fun giveaway to do. So we hope uh, many of you listening will be be lucky winners of some of these great prizes. We have a $1,000 safe we're giving away. Uh, you know, we've got a, we got a, we got a hand, handgun we're giving away. So uh, it, it's, you know, it's a, one of the Honor Defense Honor Guards. Uh, they'll have a custom Cerakote job to it. You know, it'll be really cool. So it'll be, it, we'll be having a fun time with it. So, and then also, be there. yeah, or be square. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, don't forget, uh, go true. go give uh, uh, Chris Serino and his family and the Serino Training Group uh, some love. SerinoTrainingGroup.com. And it sounds like uh, he's reworked the website. And I was just on there the other day. So, uh, you know, he, he told me he worked on it yesterday. So clearly uh, it changed just in the last uh, 24 hours or so. Please look it over and let me know what you think about it. Because I, I want it to be user friendly and I want it to be fun. Yeah. Good stuff, man. Awesome. Thanks again, uh, Chris, for being a part of this and, and uh, with this uh, episode of, with us. So with that, folks, a reminder to train right, train often, and train safe so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care. reminder that laws vary from place to place, and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand applicable laws. The Concealed Carry Podcast, Concealed Carry Inc., ConcealedCarry.com, and their affiliates strive to share insights and stories about firearm-related incidents and laws, but things could be different where you live, or laws may have changed by the time you listen to this. We cannot be held liable for your actions based on the information shared in this podcast.